You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Acts 16, it says in verse 16, And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, They cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. That's kind of our key verse. At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, and sprang in, and came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas. And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I love that question. And they they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced. Believing in God with all his house. It's a pretty incredible passage, a pretty incredible story here. And uh, I think there is some, some good lesson. There are some good lessons for us to learn from Paul and Silas's response in a troubling time. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, the way that you speak to us and how you can, you can use this even right now to touch a heart on the west side of town, and you can touch a heart on the north side and, and on the south and east side, and you can, you can speak to somebody uh, that is 45 minutes away or in another county, in another state even, Lord, you can use this. And it's an incredible thing to consider that you're that, that, you're that powerful and that interested in us. I pray that you would use the message tonight to make a difference in our lives Thank you for letting us read your word and still have the, the ability in some ways to be connected as we are. Pray that you bless us, bless our country, help us as we work through this time. 
that we would, our, our dependence and faith would grow, that our walk with you would strengthen in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Uh, before I get into this tonight, I just want to mention, it's my intention to get back into the series that we've been in, Genesis and Nehemiah, and then possibly parenting as well. Um, sometimes you face a situation large enough, though, or big enough in people's minds that you need some concentrated preaching on it. I heard one pastor say that he's calling his current preaching the coronavirus series. And I thought, you know, that really, that has a ring to it. I bet if we advertise that, that'll bring the, cl- the crowds to YouTube. Uh, so I don't know that how long we're going to be talking about these things. But these kind of messages, I think, are important for us at this time. I think it's important for us to have com- uh, thoughts of comfort and reassurance and, and uh, help people to know how to think uh, in these times that we're facing. And I really do think it's helpful for us to be focused on messages like this tonight. So I just want to mention that, that we'll probably eventually get back to the other series. But for now, I think the Lord is leading us uh, to, to focus on some things that are very applicable to the situation we're in. I read an illustration today that sums up how I believe many people feel right now. There was a newly licensed pilot, and he was flying his private plane on a cloudy day. And he, he, at that point, early on in his flying career, he was not very experienced in instrument landing. In other words, he wasn't very experienced in just landing by what the instruments were telling him. He had relied mostly by sight, landing by sight to that point, but it was so cloudy and he couldn't see. So... When the control tower began to bring him in, he got panicky. And, and, and he was panicky and he was growing anxious and, and he kind of lost his cool a little bit until a stern voice came over the radio and said, you just obey the instructions, we'll take care of the obstructions. You just pay attention, obey the instructions, let us take care of the obstructions. And I think that's well said. I, I think we'd all admit that right now there's a lot of cloud cover over our lives. It's not easy to see what's ahead. We've never flown in these conditions before. And when things are unknown, it's easy to turn to worry and, and panic about what lies ahead. When we're faced with things that are troubling, and then our natural response is to fret about the outcome. When we don't know what lies ahead, we tend to focus on the worst possibilities. When it comes to trouble, most of us trend toward pessimism. Now, I want to stop for a minute and just commend those out there that are natural optimists. And you can look around the room if there's someone that's a natural optimist there with you. I'm thankful for those. When most people look up and see clouds, those are the people that see the silver linings. You see the cup half full and... And I'm thankful that disposition is a blessing. Um, But most of the time, the rest of us are thinking, you can't really be that happy all the time. You can't really see that positively all the time. Have you ever met somebody that was just so positive that it drives you crazy? And they always saw the, the silver lining. If you've never met anybody like that, then you're probably the one driving everybody crazy. So I'll just throw that out there. There's those people that just wake up happy. Seems like no matter what, you can't get them down. And, and all you want, all the rest of us want, is for them to be grumpy just once. Now, I'm, I'm kidding. It's all, and putting the kidding aside, optimism is a trait that I wish I had more of. Responding positively when there's trouble 
is not natural for most of us, but it is possible. And you say, well, how is it possible? Well, just like the air traffic controller, that voice coming across the airwaves saying, you obey the instructions, we'll take care of the obstructions. We do also have a steady voice in God's word, this voice of God's truth that will take care of the details if we simply follow its lead. That's all we're asked to do. Acts 16 is during Paul's second missionary journey, and at this point he's accompanied by Silas, we know, and likely also by Timothy and Luke, and they come to the, the city of Philippi, and upon arriving there they meet this, uh, this businesswoman named Lydia, and she receives Christ, she is saved, and, and then her whole household is saved and baptized, and, and they really get on fire for the Lord, so much so that right away uh, Lydia offers her home to Paul and Silas and the ministry team uh, to be a base so they can stay there and they can minister from there. And so after a few days, they meet another young lady. This time it's a young, da- a young damsel and she's possessed by a demon. Well, the evil spirit within her, it says, is one of divination. And that word divination means she was a fortune teller. And she's not just a fortune teller um, that's kind of locally known. She was well known her masters had capitalized on this demonic ability uh, to predict or at least to deceive others into predicting the future. And she brought them much financial gain. So fortune telling was apparently very, very profitable back in those days. I, I still think in our day and time, people t- pay far too much attention, uh, attention to the zodiac signs and things. I, I think it's a dangerous thing to get into. We'll talk about that another day. But this young lady, this damsel, follows them around continuously for many days, it says. And Paul becomes so grieved by the damsel following them and by her condition that he turns, at one point, he finally turns and he casts that spirit out of her in the name of Jesus Christ. And he probably thought, okay, this is going to make our ministry here in Philippi much easier once she's not following us around and she's not being a thorn in our side anymore. Only to realize, though, that after he had cast that demon out of her, that her masters got angry because this young girl was bringing in a large amount of money for them. They were angry because their wallets had been affected. They're upset at their losses, so they go and they catch Paul and Silas, and they take them before the city rulers, and then they falsely accuse them of teaching customs that are against the law. They hadn't taught anything against the law. They were simply affecting the wallets of the masters of this young damsel. Look at verse 22, Acts 16, 22. And it says, And the multitude rose up together against them. The magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Without even a chance to defend themselves, Paul and Silas are stripped, they're beaten with stripes, and they're cast into prison, and not just into the minimum security, they're, they're, they're in maximum security, or even in the isolation part of the jail. The jailer is given these explicit instructions and told, you better make sure they don't escape. So just consider the situation. Consider the situation that Paul and Silas are in. They're bleeding. You know they have open wounds. They've been, they've been beaten and, and whipped. They're in pain. They're bound. And now they're in the deepest, darkest, dirtiest part of the prison. Would you call this a troubling time for Paul and Silas? I think absolutely we would. 
So how would you respond? I mean, how would you, would you say something like this? Uh, why do I even serve God? I mean, I did everything right, and look at me now. We were just out there serving God, trying to do right by the Lord and, and trying to reach people, and now look at us. What are the chances we even ever get out of here? Is this how God rewards our faithfulness? I think some of us, by our natural response, that's probably, that probably kind of sums up how we would have responded. That may be how we would have looked at this, but not Paul and Silas. Look at verse 25. It's incredible. And I know you've heard this story. I just want to remind you of their response here. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. So you talk about the right response in troubling times. They hadn't gotten themselves into this trouble. They, they, were, they were doing right. They were serving the Lord, and trouble just came to them. But they didn't get angry at God, and they didn't sulk about how life's not fair. They didn't operate out of fear about what might come next. No, their actions reflect three mindsets that we could all use right now. It's going to be a simple message, just three mindsets that could give us a biblical response in times of trouble. Three mindsets, if you want to take notes or write things down, that would be fine as well. Sometimes my preaching is more leading up to one point, but tonight there's, there's three, I think, that could contribute to this, this right response in troubling times. And the first that we see out of their example is they trusted God's sovereignty. They trusted God's sovereignty. Look at verse 25. It says, and at midnight, Paul and Silas did what? They prayed. They prayed. See, the first thing that we see or that we're told about Paul and Silas is they, they prayed. Well, what does that prove? Well, it reveals who they were trusting. They knew a sovereign God was the only one with the capabilities to change their situation. God is all-powerful, folks. He is all-knowing. He is ever-present. And He's very interested in your life. To take your troubles anywhere else first is foolishness. That would be like me, like you. Let's say you have a problem with your vehicle. That would be like you coming, bringing your vehicle to my house and asking me to look at your car and drive right by, right by the garage to get to my house. You would never come to my house to fix your car. Um, anytime I get into a vehicle and start looking at, a, at an engine or trying to figure something out, I usually start with YouTube. And, and by the end of it, when I think everything's put back together, I have enough parts to make another motor left. I mean, I'm not the guy to fix your car. But, but what, what it, many people, many Christians do is rather than going to the one that can actually help them with their problem, rather than going to the one that actually has the power to change their, their situation, they go to other places. And yet God is sovereign. God is in control. Why would we go to any other source for help in trouble? It reminds me of Psalm 121. Uh, it says, I will lift up mine eyes into the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. So naturally, where are you going to go when you need help? You're, gonna, you're gonna, not going to turn uh, to the house of idolatry, and you're not going to go down to your neighbor's house. You're going to look up to the hills, because from up there, that's where your help comes. The God who made heaven and earth. There's no one on God's level with the power and wisdom and interest in your life to help you in troubled times. Your first stop should always be prayer. 
God's the only one with the capabilities to handle every situation. And there may be some watching out there even today, and you're having trouble with anxiety. And you're having trouble with feelings of dread, and you don't know what tomorrow holds. And I know that that, that, that's a tendency, and it's scary, and, and it can be fearful. But let me remind you that as long as God is in control, there's no reason to push the panic button. He's capable. He cares. And he has not left us alone. He promised in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Friend, are you filled with anxiety and fear? I'm sorry that you are. I'm sorry that you're dealing with that. But let me ask you two questions. Are you in God's word? And you, you say, well, what does that have to do with anxiety or fear? Well, your level of faith is as, only as strong as your confidence in God's word. What you know about God will determine the strength of your faith. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It could be the reason you're anxious is because you're not taking in enough truth to counter the natural human response to the troubling times. We need voices that will counter what we naturally will be pr producing in our own hearts and in our own deception. Uh, we, we assume that things will end up as, as bad as they can be. And we get anxious and we worry. We need something to counter that. Something that's real and something that's true. Paul and Silas obviously knew enough about their God to have confidence even in trouble. So if you have anxiety and you're fearful, are you in God's word? And then second, have you prayed? Have you taken it to him? I don't just mean on the way to work. And I don't just mean in the break room at, at lunchtime at work. I, I mean, you set everything else aside and you shut the doors or lock a door and you get on your knees and you determine that you will not rise until you have poured your heart out to your father. Don't ask others to pray for you until you have fervently sought the Lord yourself. Jesus Christ had direct access to his father Yet he spent many an early morning hour in fervent prayer and close communion with his God, with his Father. Anxiety, it is a real problem right now, but it's not nearly as big a problem as prayerlessness. A Christian's true faith becomes evident in trouble. Paul and Silas, they showed their true colors, they prayed. So how's your faith when things don't go the way you expect? Do you lose it when trouble shows up? Because our faith is established on what we know of God and how fervently we pray to God. Our first response in troubling times is to pray and trust God's sovereignty. The second response in a troubled time that we see from them is they remembered God's goodness. Look at verse 25 again. It says, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and, and sang praises unto God. See, after praying, the second thing that we find them doing is engaging in praise. And that word praise, it's, in, in, it's interesting. It comes from the word from which we get our word hymn, H-Y-M-N. Same word, uh, the Greek word. And most people would have been singing, Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. You might want to turn this part up on the video. Uh, most people would have been singing songs of sulking. They would have been feeling sorry for themselves. But Paul and Silas are singing praises, not just about God. They're singing praises to God. You know what they're doing down in that prison cell? 
They're thanking God. They're singing and praising God. They're not focused on their troubles. They're singing about the blessings of God. And right now, folks, now is the time to think of all, not to think about all the things going wrong. I mean, if we started listing all the things going wrong, it would be a pretty long list. But I want to challenge you to get out another list and start writing down the things of God that have been a blessing in your life in ways He's provided. And I can promise you that list is much longer than any list of things going wrong that you can think of. Yes, you should pray no matter what, but don't only pray, praise. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. The level of fervent prayer should always be accompanied by an equal level of enthusiastic praise. One of the best ways to get your mind off your troubles and onto God's blessings is to stop and write or list or speak about the things that you're thankful for that have come from God. Have a specific time of praise with your family every day. Right now, every family at Eastside Baptist Church ought to stop what they're doing at some point every day and just get out a list and write down all the things we're thankful for. Ask each family member to contribute two or three. Get the focus off of the trouble and onto God. List out the many blessings in your lives. And, and as you engage in that exercise, you begin to realize there are still plenty of things to be thankful to God for. There are still plenty of things to praise God for, even though it doesn't seem like anything's going right. And it's time for God's people, rather than to feel sorry for themselves or to draw inward, to highlight God's goodness, highlight God's blessings, praise Him for life, praise Him for His provisions, praise Him for the cross, praise Him that His Son rose from the dead on the third day, praise Him for the friends in your life, praise Him for your church family, praise Him for your good health, and if you don't have great health, praise Him for the grace that He gives to survive every day. Listen, God is worthy, and He's worthy of our praise, and we should let Him know and make it known that He's a good God, no matter how tough the circumstances. When we focus less on our trouble and more on our blessings, it starts to affect our spirits. Moms and dads, maybe this is weighing on you, this whole thing. And maybe it's just a burden for you, and you can tell by the way that you're treating others in your household. Maybe you need a daily dose of praise, a time of thanksgiving, a time of singing. You say, well, you haven't heard me sing. Well, maybe that's a hindrance in your mind, but I guarantee it's not in God's. You don't sing for anyone but God. And listen, he's not interested in a, not interested in a studio level singing voice. He's interested in a sincere heart. These responses then start to build on each other. First response was that Paul and Silas, they trusted God's sovereignty enough to pray. And when they released that situation and they just trusted entrusted it to him, uh, into his hands, it gave them comfort, it gave them peace, and it freed them up to be able to remember God's blessings in a dark moment, which is that second response. And in praising God in that prison cell, other people heard it, which leads to the third response tonight, which is they put others first. So they trusted God's sovereignty and they remembered God's goodness and his blessings. And then they also, they put others first, even in a prison cell. Look at 25 again. It says that the last part of it says, and the prisoners heard them. Look at verse 28 down there. It says, but Paul cried with a loud voice saying, 
Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas, the jailer, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Listen, even in the depths of that dirty prison cell, Paul and Silas were thinking about other people. They sang loud enough that everyone could hear in the chaos of that earthquake. They could have easily escaped, and yet they were thinking about that jailer, that lost jailer there. there. Instead of letting him kill himself, they said, no, wait, 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 we haven't left, none of us have left. They considered his needs before their own, even in a prison cell. And because of their testimony, the jailer asks, what must I do to be saved? What can I do to have what you have? Because this is not normal. This is not a natural response to trouble. He noticed it. You know who it reminds me of? It reminds me of a young man named Joseph. And this man, this young man, Joseph, he had problems. He had, he had times, of, this was times of trouble for him. Troubling times. He's down in that prison cell. He had problems of his own. But notice, um, he noticed the distress of the butler and baker. And rather than just, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. He looked at their faces and he saw distress. And he focused on them. And he said, I can meet their needs. And he asked, what, what's going on? What's the problem here? And then he offered his help. And in the end, that consideration. Folks, listen. Joseph was in his darkest moments. And yet by looking to, the need, to meet the needs of somebody else in the darkest moments, God used that relationship and, and that, that time of helping somebody else out to bring Joseph from the prison to the palace. And my point is, you never know what taking the time for somebody else, even in your darkest moments, you never know what that might turn into. You don't, you don't know what could come of that. And right now, somebody needs a voice of reason. They need hope. And your testimony in this time right now might make the difference in someone else's salvation. Your testimony, your faith right now might make the difference in someone giving in to despair and potentially even taking their own life. I was reading even today about how uh, the, the government and our leaders are saying that if this doesn't get solved very quickly with the economy, that we're going to start witnessing a large amount of suicides because people have placed all of their happiness, all their eggs into their basket of finances. And now that that's gone, they have nothing else left. And they need to see a light from a neighbor. They need to see light from a Christian that they know, from a family member or somebody that they see uh, walking down the street. They need to see light and hope from somebody. And you taking the time to be a blessing and put somebody else's needs first. It might be the difference between life and death, if not physical, spiritual, life and death in somebody that you know. You're giving consideration to somebody's needs might turn into somebody having faith in God that was, that was about to lose it. I, I heard someone or read someone that said, to the world, you might be one person, but to one person, you might be the world. So when we're faced with trouble, look to be a blessing. Look to meet somebody's needs. And, and it's hard. It's hard enough to meet somebody's needs when things are going well. I mean, it's that much harder than to consider other people before myself when I've got problems of my own. But that's the perfect time to do it. 
to ask God to give you grace to do something you would not be able to do in your own strength. And what I find interesting is in this present situation with the coronavirus and, the, and with uh, the health issues and, and the fear in our country, this present situation uh, is, is shifting the mantra of our culture. Our culture has always been, in recent generations, you do you, you be you, live your truth, you just make yourself happy, whatever you want, do it. And now we're hearing from other people, now no, right now the mantra is consider your neighbors. Isolate for their sakes and you have a responsibility to your fellow man. And, and they're asking our culture to shift its thinking because they're seeing the value in, in living not just for yourself because when you live for yourself, the end is always destruction. And right now they're asking us to shift our thinking. I don't even know that it's possible after it's been ingrained in us for so long. But we're shifting from the disregarding of the needs of other people totally and living for yourself. Now you hear about the importance of being others-minded and meeting the needs of others and being a good, responsible citizen and a good neighbor. And they're doing it for public safety and health. But we have an opportunity to have a lasting impact and make spiritual differences in people's lives by stop focusing on our needs and look to meet somebody else's. And you say, well, I don't have much to give. Well, it, God can take the little and turn it into a lot. You can ask a boy there uh, that, that gave a, his lunch one day and Jesus Christ turned it into feeding 5,000. I mean, this is, God can take whatever you've got and you say it's not much. God can turn it into something special. If you would just have the mindset that I'm not in this for myself, I'm going to look to meet somebody else's need right now. God's people should be the best examples of putting others before themselves. Don't take social isolation to mean that life just becomes about you and that you don't have a responsibility to others like your neighbors and friends and family. Your light will shine especially bright right now. For you to be thinking of others right now is going to catch somebody off guard. It's going to get their attention because that's not the right natural response to trouble. So consider these three responses as we start to wrap this up. All three of these responses take the focus from self and place it on something or someone else. So to pray, to trust God's sovereignty, is to focus on God's ability instead of our inability. To remember God's goodness is to focus on blessings instead of our difficulties. To put other people first is to focus on the needs of somebody else before our own. Folks, the benefit of this passage is that we stop focusing on our troubles and place our attention on God's power and God's blessings and the needs of other people. And when we do that, God receives the glory. He does something with it that we would not have been able to see done in our own strength. Look down in verse 32. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in the house, in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized he in all his straight way. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. The jailer and, the, and his whole household were saved. God was glorified because Paul and Silas responded correctly in a time of trouble. If they just sulked in the prison cell, this man and his household likely would have never received Christ. So how do you typically respond when things aren't easy? Have you been overwhelmed? Have you been anxious? 
about the situation at hand? Has your focus turned inward instead of upward or outward? Well, it's time to shift our focus from troubles to God's blessing. It's time to shift our focus from us to God's sovereignty. We haven't lost control. We were never in control. But he is and has always been. Trust that. And as you focus not on your troubles but God's blessings, even in trouble, you have, we still have more than we could ever deserve from God's hand. It's time to shift our focus from our obstacles to the needs of other people. A light shines brighter in times of darkness. So in times of doubt and in times of darkness, the Lord is still in the control tower. And we feel like we're flying blind. Trust me, I know it feels like I'm flying blind sometimes. I don't even know how to land. But listen, we don't have to know every situation, every obstacle. All we have to, to do is obey the instructions. These are cloudy times. And we don't have visuals. We don't know where we land. But if we pray and praise and serve, he'll take care of the obstructions. We just need to keep following his instructions. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. 